This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby Snymer. The royal family continues to be a source of fascination and fodder, which is part of the reason why Queen Elizabeth and her newly retired husband, Prince Philip, graced the current cover of Zoomer magazine. We talked with its deputy editor, Kim Itzo, to get the inside scoop about the royals. And a solar eclipse is coming to North America, where for a short time the sun will disappear. In fact, all of North America will be able to see a partial eclipse Astronomer Paul Delaney enlightens us with some fascinating facts about this phenomenon. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A recent study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition says Zoomers might be able to stay stronger for longer periods of time if they eat protein at all three meals. The researchers from McGill University followed more than 1,700 healthy adults ranging in age from 67 to 84 for a three-year period and concluded that all participants experienced declines in their muscle strength and mobility, except for those who ate protein throughout the day. The protein eaters were able to retain more muscle strength compared to those who ate most of their protein just at dinner. 73-year-old Daniela Barnia of California swims for up to an hour and a half every day. This Zoomer athlete just became a record breaker after competing in races specific to her age group. At the 2017 U.S. Masters Swimming Spring Nationals in Riverside, California, she took home three golds in the women's 70- to 74-year-old age group. 92-year-old Adrienne Stewart from Oshawa has been singing her entire life. Adrienne is a professional opera singer who believes that music is a wonderful tonic. She still has complete recall of the words and melodies she memorized in her younger days and has never had an issue remembering the words. Adrienne feels very fortunate that she's able to do what she's most passionate about. So after 60 years, she's a proud soprano in not one but two choirs in Oshawa. And it's been five decades since Jane Fonda and Robert Redford first starred on the silver screen together. The pair first played newlyweds in the film Barefoot in the Park in 1967. Now the two stars are reuniting on the small screen where they'll play Twilight Lovers in Our Souls at Night. Fonda plays Addie Moore, a widow in small-town Colorado who finds love later in life with Lewis Waters, played by Redford, her longtime neighbor who's also a widower. Here's Jane Fonda talking about the project. He bought a book that's called Our Souls at Night, and it's just a beautiful story, and he wanted me to be in it, and I was really, really happy. You know, the only problem with 
working with Bob is that I just look into his eyes and I kind of fall into his eyes and forget my dialogue. Look for this Netflix release at the end of September. I'm Bob Comsick in for Libby's Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. With the recent retirement of Prince Philip and the rumors swirling that the 91-year-old queen could be stepping down, here to set the record straight, deputy editor of Zoomer magazine, Kim Itzo, who gets us up to speed on the comings and goings of the royals. When did you people start thinking about, okay, the royals are going back on the cover of Zoomer magazine? What really started us to decide to do Romancing the Thrones, a theme for our September issue, was the announcement that I think came in May of Prince Philip retiring. That had never happened before because at 96, he's actually the oldest royal courtier that's ever existed. And so it sort of made sense. And we just thought, well, what an amazing opportunity to talk about everything that Zoomer stands for and talks about anyways, which is reinvention, life after retirement, and longevity, but the royal couple. Because the queen is now 91, you know, turning going into her 92nd year. You know, he's 96. But they're, you know, so yeah, so him stepping back was what did it. And then the other thing that was really important to us was the announcement that the Invictus Games were coming to Toronto at the end of September. So it made sense. Those duality, the Invictus Games in September and Prince Phil's retirement made for the perfect match to make this a September issue cover. We have a lot of photos in our Romancing the Throne issue, including we, have a, we sent a photographer uh, to follow Prince Charles and Camilla when they came to celebrate Canada 150 in Ottawa. And uh, we have fantastic photos from that trip. We have an amazing set of photos of Diana's trips to Canada in the 80s and 90s, as well as some photos of Prince Harry. And of course, our cover is special. It's a wonderful photograph that's very, has almost never been seen before, taken by Brian Adams of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. And we also have some, in the magazine, some inside photos from the same shoot. Was there a thing or two that even you, as you were going over, went, oh, surprised you raised your eyebrows? What really amazed me about Prince Philip was when I was researching the article about his retirement was the sheer number of appearances he's made over the years. He's actually given over 5,000, you know, speeches, and um, he's considered himself, it's a really funny joke, but he actually calls himself the world's most experienced plaque unveiler, and it's actually showed up at more than 22,000 solo engagements, 22,000. That's That shocked me. The other thing that was really surprising to me is I didn't know that he used to host a TV show. Did you really? Know? No. Yes. Um, yeah, so he was really at the forefront of the idea of modernizing the monarchy. It was his idea to bring cameras into her um, coronation. It was his idea to let the BBC, you know, film the royal family and him doing the barbecue to make them look more like real people. And then he hosted an Around the World with Prince Philip TV show where he, you know, brought artifacts that he picked up on his journeys. And he's there looking just like, you know, a regular TV broadcaster in black and white in the 50s in Great Britain. And that fascinated me, you know, because when you think of him now, he's so acerbic with the press. But there back then he sort of was more embracive of it. I guess the walls sort of gone up over time. Yes, I think there's been so much more controversy. And, you know, how, you know, you want to step back, I think, if you're Prince Philip and the Queen and, and have to. And one of the controversies, obviously, would be Princess Diana, and that's like 20 years. Yes, and that's the thing. When we printed together the September issue, which came on newsstands July 31st, you know, it, it sort of takes, she passed away August 31st. 31st. And um, we wanted to, you know, pay tribute to her as well because she has, like, obviously has a lasting legacy and was immensely popular, but also very polarizing in terms of the royal family. 
And uh, I think when she passed away, obviously, there was a lot of controversy of how the queen presented herself publicly. And, of course, there was a horrible divorce with Charles. And so it gave, you know, Charles and the royal family kind of a bad name. So I think that's also why Prince Philip and the queen sort of, you know, you step back from that uh, policy. And you mentioned earlier about the Invictus Games, which uh, were founded by her son, one of her sons, yes. Prince Harry. Prince Harry. Now, and Prince that's coming in September a few September 25th, yeah. In the end of September, the Invictus Games come to Toronto. I believe it's the third Invictus Games. Prince Harry, of course, is a, a veteran. He was in Afghanistan. He sort of in Afghanistan, and it's a cause that's you know passionate to him as a, as a veteran, because the Invictus Games are about servicemen and women who are actively serving or have retired and who have been wounded in war. And it's games. It's think of the Olympic Games for veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have lots of different um, activities, um, like you know wheel wheelchair tennis and basketball and things like that. And, and it's just really an, an interesting way of exploring, you know, what these veterans go through with post-traumatic stress disorder, physical injury. And so it's a very, uh, it's going to be a very fantastic games here in Toronto. After all these years, Prince Philip retiring. What about the Queen? Do you ever see her doing same? No. The Queen will be remain the Queen until she passes away. She took such a vow when she, well, actually before she was crowned, but also when she was crowned. The advocation is a dirty word in the British monarchy ever since 1936 when Edward abdicated to Mary Wallace Simpson. So she will never do that. What she might have, I mean, there is a rumor going around the royal circles is that now she's, you know, 91, that when she turns 95, she might want to dial down her duties because, you know, 95 is getting up there, let's let's face it. Uh, And what that would entail legally is what's called a um, Regency Act. And then um, what that would allow would be Prince Charles would then become Prince Regent, and he would be allowed to step into more formal duties. And also would allow, that act also would allow, if she becomes somehow mentally incapacitated, that he can also take on her roles. But that would be as far as it would go, but she would still remain queen. Zoomer Magazine, front page story, Romancing the Throne, special tribute issue, cover shot of the queen, Prince Philip. Now retired, shot by Brian Adams, another Zoomer, speaking with Kim Itzo, deputy editor of Zoomer magazine. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Bob Comsick in for Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, astronomer Paul Delaney gives us a crash course on everything you want to know about the upcoming total eclipse. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Ever wonder what an eclipse actually is, why it happens, and how to be able to watch one without fear of harming your eyes? We speak to the man with all the answers, astronomer Paul Delaney, a York University professor, and its director of the Division of Natural Science. What is it in this day and age when we are bombarded with information that something as simple as that big ball in the sky just seems to 
attract the attention of, of all of us? What is it? I really do believe that deep down, all of us still are connected to natural phenomena. We revel at the beauty of a huge mountain. We look across an ocean. We look across a lake, the sunrise, the sunsets, the colors in the atmosphere. Natural phenomena still are very alluring to us. Well, a solar eclipse is, I would argue, one of the finest phenomena that you're ever going to see. And because they are relatively rare, that sort of just adds to their enchantment. Uh, you and I can go and watch sunsets tonight, tomorrow night, next week, and over the course of a year, we'll find some pretty spectacular ones and so on. And, you know, it doesn't stop us going out and watching another sunset. We hope to see that beauty over and over again. When we look at a total solar eclipse, there is something almost magical about the behavior of the objects in our solar system casting a very strange light across the landscape in the middle of the day when you're expecting it to be nice and bright and all of the wildlife is, is alive. All of a sudden, it goes dusky <laughs> in the middle of the day. The wildlife gets very confused and you and I just stand there and, and we marvel at it. So I think it's our connection with nature that draws us out to these sorts of events. I remember as a youngster in grade school, can't remember the year, it was back in the 60s, and I remember hearing about a total eclipse coming and we, how we were warned, don't look, don't look, or you've got to use special glasses or whatever to shield your eyes. I tell you, I remember that afternoon until it got light again. I don't know how long I walked around with my head down. I was petrified. Obviously, times have, have changed. So why is it such a concern for people to look at an eclipse with their naked eye? Well, I guess the short answer is a partial eclipse of the sun means that the sun is still visible. It mightn't be 100% of the solar surface. It could be anywhere from you know, a few percent up to you know, 90, 95%. But the moment any portion of the sun's surface is visible, the sun is a dangerous object to look at. You wouldn't go out tomorrow, for example, not an eclipse day, and have a look at the sun because you know the sun is a dangerous object to look at. It provides life on Earth, but you don't want to stare at it. Well, during a partial eclipse, it's the same scenario. Just because you don't see 100% of the surface of the sun doesn't mean that it is any less safe. So you can't look at the sun's surface at any time, regardless of how much of the sun's surface is present. It is a dangerous object. It can hurt your eye. It can damage your eye. It can cause blindness. But the important point to make is that that doesn't mean that you can't observe it. You just have to take the appropriate precautions. You either look at it with appropriate filtration, solar glasses, solar filtration, and so on, and we can elaborate upon that. Or the safer way, of course, is project an image. Uh, you know, utilize some technique, a pinhole camera or a, a telescope that is projecting an image of the sun onto a piece of paper, and then you can watch with safety the advancing shape of the moon as it crosses the solar disk. So there are lots of ways to enjoy, experience, and in fact, revel in the way the partial eclipse is unfolding, but you never look directly at the solar surface. That is dangerous. Sunglasses are not designed to filter out the harmful rays of the sun. Uh, don't even think about doubling them up, tripling them up. No, they're just not rated for that. Don't even try. How often do they come around again? 
Let's have a little bit of a lesson here. Sure. Uh, partial solar eclipses occur twice, maybe even three times during the course of a calendar year. On average, it's twice a year. Not all the planet sees a partial eclipse. So you've got to be in the right place, roughly speaking, in the right time. To see a total eclipse of the sun, they happen about once every 12 to 18 months, so a little less frequent than solar eclipses. But still, you know, over the space of 10 years, you would pick up six or seven total eclipses. The reason that we get solar eclipses partial, total, annular in the first place is that the apparent angular size of the moon is nearly the same as the angular size of the sun. But because they are so close in those angular dimensions, it means that the shadows that are being cast here on the Earth only cover a relatively small region. And for totality, that path could be as small as 100 kilometers wide. So you really do have to be in the right place at the right time to catch totality. It was eclipses that gave us insight into the shape of objects, so the round surface of the Earth's shadow being cast on the moon gave insight into our spherical planet, not a flat planet. Uh, the movement of these objects around the sun, the choreography, if you will, associated with the motions in the solar system, all of these things actually are played out as you look at not just eclipses, but all sorts of methodical motions in the night sky. Throughout the ages, we were able to use solar eclipses to block out the sun's surface and look at the uh, ethereal corona that is around the sun. Uh, that's a region of the sun that we normally can't see. And so our insight into the sun's extended atmosphere only started because of solar eclipses. And to this day, we continue to look carefully at the corona during solar eclipses because, if you will, in the corona is the fingerprint of the magnetic field of the sun, and that is tied very closely to the sun's activity level. And let's face it, the sun is a really important object for you and I. We need to understand the way our sun is operating so that we can, uh, if you will, protect ourselves from coronal mass ejections, those huge streams of charged particles that rip through the solar system on a regular basis. Understanding that outer atmosphere of the sun is still critically important to us. Let's reach for those safe uh, sunglasses and, and have a look. Paul Delaney, thanks for your time. You're welcome, Bob. Clear skies for you. That was astronomer Paul Delaney, a York University professor and the director of the Division of Natural Science. I'm Bob Comsick, filling in for Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we've got a whole lot of love for Led Zeppelin frontman Robert Plant. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick, in for Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. At the Belfast Film Festival, it's a screening of The Exorcist in a former Roman Catholic church which has been abandoned for almost 30 years. In London, the Royal Academy of Arts is presenting Henri Matisse in the studio, featuring the artist's personal collection of treasured objects that were both subject matter and inspiration. In New York City, The Muppet Show is getting a permanent tribute at the Museum of Moving Images. It's not easy. Being green. 
The exhibit explores the work of Muppets creator Jim Henson 30 years after his death. And in L.A., you can visit a pop-up museum focused on O.J. Simpson. The Coagula Curatorial Gallery in Chinatown bills the five-day event as the phenomenon associated with the Simpson saga, not necessarily about the man himself. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, we're celebrating the birth of Robert Plant. He was born August 20th, 1948 in West Bromwich, England. Robert Plant, best known for his role as lead singer in the hard-rocking band Led Zeppelin, but he's also had a very successful career that's explored a number of other musical genres like blues, folk, and country. His charismatic stage presence and exaggerated vocal style with Led Zeppelin influenced countless singers who came after him, including Freddie Mercury, Jeff Buckley, Jack White, and Canada's own Getty Lee. Throughout the years, he's won numerous Grammys, been named the 15th greatest singer of all time by Rolling Stone magazine, and was made a commander of the Order of the British Empire for his services to music. Right now, we'll celebrate Robert Plant's birthday with a taste of his singing with Led Zeppelin. This from their last U.S. single before the group disbanded in 1980, Fool in the Rain. That was a bit of Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin, their iconic frontman Robert Plant celebrating his 69th birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.